Julie, welcome back to Saltier Politics Summer Edition. How's it going? Great. I am excited. We're about to go to Spain so that my little guy can play soccer. <laughs> I was about to say with Real Madrid, but that's really not quite true. But he is training with the Real Madrid Foundation, which is really cool for a little nine-year-old boy. So I'm very excited for him. I think is it's going to humble thing all squared away. It's squared away in the sense that I did not get my refund, and so therefore Airbnb is not getting my business, um, and I will never use it again. So no, I'm not staying at an Airbnb facility. I'm staying elsewhere, but um, the nice thing is that we're going, and it's going to be interesting. It's going to humble him a little bit, I think, because he's he's an exceptional little soccer player here in New York, but I think being around really, really, really exceptional kids from all around the world. Um, we'll see. We'll see how he does because I think it's going to be a, a little bit of an, an awakening for him to see uh, that maybe he's not necessarily uh, the, the, the best out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I'm, I'm very excited for him. I'm excited to see how he progresses. We'll see if it develops an even bigger love of soccer for him or whether he comes back so humbled that it might not. But I don't know. I think I think your son is somebody who's going to play up. Like I know in sports at first, I, you know, when I, I made the varsity basketball team in ninth grade and I was super intimidated by a lot of the older girls. But then I remember just something in my head clicked and I was like, I'm going to beat them. I'm going to get better. And I believe that your son is going to have that. It might be a moment of what the heck? I'm not the best. And then it's going to be, OK, play up. Yeah, well, you know, you know him, and he has the Reginsky gene of being super, super competitive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> more so, more so than than I even I have been, and he's uh, he's very competitive. So I hope that's the case. I, I really do, but we'll see what happens. It's also I just found out going to be like 95 degrees the entire time we're there, so we'll see how that goes. And it's 12 hours of practice every day, which oh. I think is a little excessive, but. Be that as it may, it's 8 to 8. Apparently, okay. I have to drop him off at 8 a.m. and pick him up at 8 p.m. So <laughs> it's going to be an interesting interesting week for him. But I'm excited. I'm excited to go to Madrid. You've been there. I've never been there. I've been to Barcelona, but I've never been to Madrid. So I'm very excited. And if anybody listening to this has any last-minute restaurant recommendations or anything else that they want to suggest that I see while I'm in Madrid or any of the surrounding towns that are day trips, um, please let me know. Cause I will have 12 hours a day to kill waiting for him to play soccer. So I'd love to get some ideas of what to see aside from the usual touristy things. Yeah. Well, I got up in the morning and did runs and it was really cool. The, it was, you, I think you're just going to love it and you're going to fall into things and have an amazing time. Yeah. Just adventuring. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm excited to actually travel cause it's been so long. Um, I haven't been on a plane. Well, that's not true. Actually, uh, Gretchen Carlson and I went down to Texas for Lift Our Voices um, in January at the height of COVID, actually. Gosh, we got on a plane all masked up and, and traveled down to Dallas um, for Lift Our Voices. But aside from that, I haven't been on a plane since before COVID. So I'm excited to just, just get out of here and do some touristy stuff and just kind of walk around and, and have it be like old days. Although I hear Europe's not quite back to the old days, the way New York city is, for example, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll New see. York city, this pride weekend was back at it. All of the, 
Yes, it was a wonderful weekend. And it was really nice to see that everybody was back and a lot of the clubs like Cubbyhole, there's only 21 lesbian bars left in the United States, Cubbyhole being one of them. And it's one of the ones in New York City. And it was open and there were a ton of people and business was thriving. So it was great to see that. Is that right? Yes, there are 21. 21 lesbian bars left that's in it. the entire United States. I assume that's not the case for gay bars, right? No, there are a ton of gay boy bars. But I mean, if you think of it, it's also demographically like women don't get as much money for business. It's 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 a lot. You think so. it's that or do you think it's that traditionally, and I'm generalizing wildly here, but they don't troll for relationships in bars. Like women tend to find relationships on a more sort of intimate level through friends or, or, or at parties where people know each other rather than meeting strangers at bars, generally speaking. Obviously, I know that's not the case. I mean, I think it's, I think for young lesbians, it's a really great thing to have and to be able to go out and be in kind of a safe environment where it's, you're just being hit on by women. You're not like guessing and you know that everybody in there for the most part is gay. And I think one of the problems is that once you're in a relationship, then the lesbians don't go out as much. So it's like you shack up and then you're like not going out. Yeah. I mean, like I'm thinking from my own back in my dating years um, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I'm trying to think. I honestly, uh, I only met one boyfriend in a bar. Everybody else I ever dated, every guy I ever dated, I I, I never, I met through somebody else. Um or I, or I knew was a friend that turned into a relationship. I never, I, I literally only met one um, guy I ever dated who was a wonderful, continues to be a wonderful guy, and I, we're still very good friends, but um, only one guy did I ever meet in a bar in New York City and proceed to date, nobody else. And I don't know that I ever, um, I don't know too many women who, who did that. So maybe that's the case. I just don't know that women look for relationships in bars. Men, I think, look for hookups in bars, but I don't know that women do. But maybe it's, I don't know. Times have also changed. Yeah, but I, well, I met my person at a bar. And um, and because also it, I was at Fox and afraid, it was when I was really afraid to come out like on apps or something like that. So Cubby was one of the only places I felt safe to be out. So but you know what's funny that you say that? It's so interesting to me because I had a very, very good friend I have a very good friend. I shouldn't say I had. I have a very good friend who's gay, and he um, uh, was in New Jersey politics for a long time. And he then moved to New York, and 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 um, would go to a gay bar in New York, which I don't think is around anymore, but but was at the time a really famous uh, gay bar, which I went to with him once or twice, called Splash. Um, and he would run into another uh, very closeted New Jersey politician at Splash. And this politician would cross the river, um, cross the Hudson River from New Jersey to New York um, to go to Splash, assuming nobody would ever see him at Splash. And we used to always joke and say, why does he just assume because he just goes somewhere where he doesn't think anybody would see him that nobody would see him there? And it's the same kind of thing. Like you were at Fox, you were really closeted um, and you went to Cubbyhole. But like I, for example, um, when I worked at Fox, um, I have a very good friend Um who's a lesbian. And I used to live around the corner from Cubby Hole when I lived in Greenwich Village in the West Village. And when she was single, she would ask me to go with her just to be just, you know, to be her wing woman. So I would go with her to Splat, uh, to Cubby Hole. So I would have seen you there. Yeah. So 
I guess it's not out of the realm that somebody from Fox would have seen you there, even if there's somebody who is either not gay or would have never given you up, which of course I never would have. Right. And it's like there, if, if the other, if you see somebody there, you know that that person's either an ally or cool. With yeah. Because they're not going to go in and not be gay friendly. Unless, unless they're guys trolling for, you know. Right. A specific type of woman. Because I saw that the few times that I went to Cubbyhole as well. Truth. But what you get, but then everybody, they realize that that guy is doing that. And then there's like a whole team effort. Everybody like is sort of looking out for everybody being like, ignore him. By the way, I, I say this, <laughs> somebody <laughs> who certainly never hit on anybody at Cubbyhole. And I might add, was never hit on by anybody at Cubbyhole. Um, it's actually just a great bar. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The drinks that. are great and strong. The drinks are great. The jukebox is great. Yeah. Um, so I actually really enjoyed it um, just as a just as a standalone bar, regardless of whether you're looking to meet somebody or not, which um, I was not. But it was a it's just a great place. So if you're ever in the West Village and you're just looking for a place to duck into, regardless of your sexual orientation, here's a free plug for the puppy hole. You'll love it. Yeah, it's actually I good bar. It. Can we talk about Britney Spears for one second before we get to the politics of the day? No, this is political. This is important. We have covered this years ago when we yeah. when we discussed it. And now I knew, go, I, okay. I have so many things. <laughs> I have so many things also. I don't even know where to begin other than to say, we called it. We called it years ago. Literally. First of all, how is any of this legal? This is like a Kafka-esque, insane. You're, you're like in prison. You don't know why you're in prison. They're, they're yeah. almost drugging her to look insane. They're giving her lithium, which makes right. her look insane. So they could stick her in front of a judge to 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 claim that she's insane. I, I just I just don't get it. I mean I get it. I don't get how it's legal. I don't get how there's no. If this judge doesn't at minimum put some sort of outside guardian over her for two to three months to determine her real mental state, which sounds to me like it's probably fine or fine enough for her to manage her own life. I listened to the recording. I, I was surprised. She she was very on it and in it. She sounded normal, unlike her Instagram videos, which I will always follow and like. But like in her Instagram videos where she's dancing, you're like, okay, I'm not quite sure. Well, first of all, I have a couple of observations about that. The timbre of her, of her voice. In the Instagram video, she sounds like little 17-year-old Britney yeah. What's this little girl here? She sounds like a normal adult woman. Her voice was like three octaves lower mm -hmm. and normal. But secondly, the part that absolutely terrified and scared me. Okay. She somehow was able to present this, um, argument on the phone, right? This was all done on the phone. Zoom. Zoom, whatever. It wasn't in person. She disconnected from zoom. And then what happened to her? Think about <sighs> the penalties that these people just imposed on her. Did they then prevent her from accessing her children, her boyfriend? I mean, what 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 completely shocks me about this whole thing is if you're if you are Mr. Spears, Jamie Spears, her father, who seems like a horrible monster, but let me give him every benefit of the doubt. If you're Jamie Spears and you say my daughter is absolutely incapable of managing her own affairs, she is nuts in the truest sense of the word, she is mentally ill, she is incapable of traveling in a car alone with her boyfriend. She is incapable of um, 
going on vacation to Hawaii without my permission. She is incapable of, forget her finances, but incapable of, of, of managing the most basic elements of her life. I'm not even talking about the financial aspect of it. Why is she capable of performing like a trained monkey on stage every night? But the, she, this really is like an indentured servitude thing. She, she's, she's obviously capable of getting up night after night on a stage for the benefit of an audience, for the benefit of his pocketbook, for the benefit of everybody but herself, apparently. She's capable of rehearsing, it sounds to me, well, I don't have to even take her word for it. Clearly, you have to rehearse like a madwoman to be in right. shape to do that kind of performance night after night, right? Like if she doesn't, even if even if you don't take believe her that she had to do it seven days a week for 10 hours a day, which I believe her because I think you have to in order to be that good. But so if she's capable of that kind of level of um, rehearsal or that kind of level of um, performance, if she's capable of being on this very strict diet where she has to lose weight because as she said, and she said something really weird, it was something like, this body, it was like she was talking about her body, but it was like this body has done, I forgot what the quote was, but something, she spoke about her body in the third person. Like this body has performed at some enhanced level or something. So you're talking about your body, her body has, has done, like she's not even talking about her body like it belongs to her. She's talking about her body like it belongs to somebody else. And lo and behold, of course it does because it turns out they made her put an IUD in. That was terrific. Getting pregnant, what all this woman wants to do, she's 39 years old. She's 39 years old. Her fertility is ebbing away by the day. Take my word for it. I had my son at 39. It is really tough to get pregnant at that age. She really doesn't have much time to lose if she wants to have another baby. She wants to get married. She wants to have a baby, and they're telling her no. They won't let her go to the doctor to take out her IUD. Are you kidding me? It's it's absolutely criminal what's happening to her. And the whole fact when she was talking about how she choreographed the Las Vegas routine and all of that, and she was with the dancers, and then she didn't agree with one dance move, and that's when they put her on lithium. Yeah. Like what? And that her and that her lawyer, who's made apparently three million dollars off of her on throughout her all this time, her money never claim she claims never explained to her that she can get out of this conservatorship at any point. Now, one somebody might say, well, how did you not know this yourself, Brittany? First of all, this woman, look at her life. She's been commoditized from the age of, I don't know, what when? 10? 17. Yeah, or, or yeah, no, Mickey Mouse Club, 10. Earlier. Mickey yeah. Mouse Club, earlier, earlier. I mean, way before 17. I mean, she's been commoditized effectively since she was my son's age. And I can tell you right now, so everything was handled for her financially. Everything was kind of handled for her in every way, shape, and form. She is sexualized, so she effectively is expected to dress, act, perform like a woman much older than she is, and yet everything else is taken care of for her, potentially not to her benefit. Mm -hmm. um, she gets married at a very young age. Uh, the paparazzi is hounding her. She really has no life. I don't think that she's one of those people whose parents ever sat her down, as I know a lot of wealthy, more responsible children had had happen with their parents, where you sit down and once a quarter, or once a year, whatever the period is, you sit down with your financial 
advisors and you sit down and the financial advisors explain to you minute detail, your lawyers explain to you minute detail, this is where your investments are going, this is where your legal rights are, this is where your, I mean, the business of being Britney Spears, like the business of being Lady Gaga or the business of being George Clooney or the business of being, I don't care who you are, right? I, I doubt that ever happened in her life. Or if it did, it didn't happen in an honest way. Mainly because I think her parents themselves probably aren't really aware of how to do that. So the question is, the question, not the question, the point is, I don't think this woman ever really had an opportunity to learn the business of being Britney Spears. Then she hooks up with husband number one. That gets annulled very quickly. Then she hooks up with dancer number one, and that ends up being Kevin Federline. Two kids back to back. And the paparazzi is hounding her. She clearly is a mess. I mean, I remember that interview we, she did with Matt Lauer or whoever it was. Remember that when she was pregnant? She was like out of her mind. No, but can we note too, like in 2008 when she had the, she shaved her head and all that, this woman was dealing with postpartum depression. And in 2008, this kind of stuff was not talked about. Being okay for women to be depressed, have postpartum depression. And then in 2008, that's when she has her kids start to be taken away from her and Kevin Federline gets freaking custody. And that's when this whole conservatorship comes on. It's like, this woman, I think, was dealing with what a lot of other women deal with, but just at a height that was exacerbated by fame. And she's like 21, 22, 23. I forget how old she was, but she's a really young. I mean, she's basically a, a commoditized young woman. And listen, I remember those years. I remember the 2000s really well because it was like a guilty pleasure. Like you had blogs like Perez Hilton which, listen, we'd all read, mm-hmm. and they were awful to her. Us Weekly, all these, and not just her, Lindsay Lohan, her, Paris Hilton, um, used to have, like, bets on who would die first, right? Yeah. And people would make fun of her, and she shaved her head. Everybody kind of enjoyed watching. the. It was like a slow car wreck. Everybody enjoyed it. All of us did. And meanwhile, this is her life, and she's going through it in a real way. And plus, she's living in a world where, I'm sorry, we've talked about childhood celebrity all the time, but she's given everything she wants. You want drugs? Here they are. You want weight loss pills or whatever it takes to lose the weight quickly, Brittany, after birth? Here you go. So she's probably God knows on what to lose the weight quickly after the kids. She is, she has gone from being a single sex pot to being a a mother of two young babies at a very young age without probably any kind of help or any kind of assistance to to, to deal with that. Um, As I said, I had my son at 39 and I can tell you it took me that long to be ready for that transition. Um, I can't imagine how long, what she had to deal with. I just, I, I just, and then, and now they're effectively saying, well, yeah, she went nuts. Well, you know what? And by the way, maybe she did have some sort of mental illness. So what? Plenty of people do. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Or to define their entire decade. Yeah, <laughs> but not enough to keep her enslaved for 13 years. She's absolutely right. This is like sex trafficking. I mean, she's basically made to work for 13 years without having the freedom to do anything but work for the benefit of other people. It's ridiculous. Also, I'd like to, um, and, and this is to your point, Liz Plank tweeted 
When Brittany was a child, we adultified her, and when she became an adult, we infantilized her. We are completely incapable of letting women live. This would never happen to a man. No. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't. We we forgive men so much. How many men have we seen have complete nervous breakdowns? Or oh, I mean, I Ben know. Affleck, we keep giving him, like, the benefit Who? of the doubt. Ben Affleck. Like, how many times has he been in and out of rehab I mean and it's and it's or like Colin Farrell like he can have a party face and it'd be lauded Robert Downey Jr. who after his multiple party phase ending up in prison having chance after chance after chance became the biggest movie star on the planet right mm-hmm. um which I'm happy for him I mean this is not a reflection on and I don't begrudge him but could you imagine if his mother ever took over his finances and said, oh, no, you have to work Robert Downey Jr. And then you come home. And by the way, I'm going to make you have a vasectomy so you can never have children again. Oh, you want to marry your wife? I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you do that. Right. No chance to. It's, I mean, it's, can you imagine somebody saying to a man, I'm going to make you get a vasectomy? A mother saying to to her son, I'm going to make you get a vasectomy at the age of 39 so you could not have a child? It, it w- you just, I can't even imagine a world where that would happen. I, I hope something positive happens for this woman because well, I, I love so her. Too. I hope so too. But the part that again is chilling to me is when she hung up on that zoom, what like happened? right now, as we speak, what is happening to Britney Spears? Cause nothing's right. changed. Her. Is her lawyer who she called out advocating for her or the family yeah. that she wants to sue? Are they helping her? It's like, nobody's out. How does she escape? Nobody's advocating for her because everybody is incentivized to keep the status quo going because they are all being enriched by it. And that's why I don't know if the court, and again, of course, I know nothing about the law uh, in general, but certainly with respect to this, I know even less. Um, But it would seem to me that the court has a duty to step in and put in some sort of impartial trustee who can assess the situation immediately. I mean, this is not like I will see you again for oral arguments in three months. No, this woman has had 13 years of hell. Give her like immediate. (laughs) There's no waiting here. Yeah. Awful. All right. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, and we've talked about this before, but the critical race theory, but your, your, one of your tweets made me laugh out loud. Um, I didn't think because, I didn't become a racist after watching Gone with the Wind or a Marxist after reading Das Kapital or an idiot after reading Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> I can't. It's called critical thinking. I, I don't even understand. I think the real snowflakes are the GOP for not oh, just give kids all the information. The fact that I'm a history major, when I went to Brown, I didn't realize all of the injustices and had to take history courses and actively learn about American history to learn the full history is problematic. You know, what's interesting to me, I think (laughs) what we think of as critical, well, not what we think of, I think what critical race theory has been for the last 40 years and what conservative media has defined critical race theory as are two different things. If critical race theory were truly what Republicans think it is, I would understand why it would be offensive, but it's not. And that's the difference. If critical race theory were, hey, Emily, you suck because you're a white woman and you'll always suck because you're a white woman because you're a racist. Like, I would see how that might not be a great talking point, but that's not what it is. 
All critical race theory is, is simply saying this country, like every country on earth, has had a complicated history with race. And we have to look at our history, not entirely through that lens, but through that lens, right? Which is to say, when this country was founded, not everybody, for example, had the right to vote. Women didn't. People who didn't own property didn't. Black people didn't. A lot of people didn't. That's not saying white people suck. That's just a fact. Furthermore, it's not racist to say there were laws in place even after the Civil War emancipated the slaves that were not so great for black people. That's not being racist or being anti-Southern if you live down in Georgia or Alabama or somewhere. It's just a fact. It just is. No more than it is to say that it's racist that people who are black or brown in this country today in 2021 have much less access to capital than white people. That's just a fact. It's a fact. It's a statistic. Nobody's saying that you are racist because you live in a, you're white and that's the country you live in. It's just a fact. It's a fact. And if you acknowledge that issue, the last point that I mentioned, maybe you might want to do something about it. For example, you might want to set up access to capital specifically geared towards black and brown communities, because the reality is that it is incredibly hard to get access to capital if you're a black and brown small business. It just is. I know exactly. this. I mean, it's literally something I've been working on for, for several years now um, and is part of my real job. And it is harder to have access to housing if you're black and brown. The incarcer incarceration rate is higher for black and brown people. It just is. I mean, it, it's not it's not to say that this country, you know, and then if you, if you state those facts and if you're Fox News or, or any of these other conservative conservative media places, all of a sudden, well, you're accusing this country of being racist. No, but can we just say this country was founded on the premise that we have to create a more perfect union? It could be better. It could be more perfect, which means we got to keep working at it, which basically means that there are still issues in this country that are fundamentally inherent that are tied to our very long history of being racist towards minorities because this country was founded on unequal treatment based on race. It just was. Exactly. And if you don't acknowledge the suffering and the inequality that has happened pervasively for years in this country, then now you're not acknowledging the pain and you're not seeing where and why people are asking for what they're asking for. You're not understanding the whole story and you're not having empathy either. And I don't understand, look, you and I are both white. I don't understand this problem with teaching this in schools, like this whole craziness that the New York Post and, and, and as you know, it's, it's, it's the whole Murdoch empire, right? The newspaper writes it and, and then the, new, the news channel, Fox News covers it or Fox News covers it and then the newspaper writes it. But never mind. It's this whole, you know, we all get the joke. But this whole notion of, oh, let's go after New York City private schools because they're so woke. Uh, listen. My, my my white blonde son goes to one of those private schools. Let me tell you something. I don't have a problem whatsoever with these schools explaining to these kids that the reality is that historically this is how it's been. What's the problem? 
No, and by it, the, right. the majority of the parents at the school are white and really affluent. And by the way, control that access to capital, control that access to housing. They're the masters of the, all of us, right? We're, we're the 1%. Right. And if our kids can learn about how to make the future better because they will eventually grow up to be that 1%, maybe we're doing a service to the whole country. I mean, and, maybe we're raising a new generation finally that's going to be in a position of power in 20, 30 years to do something about this for a change. I'm perfectly happy with that. I completely agree. And it's like you don't understand where these different tropes and these things come from. Even like in, in – uh, In college, like I took an American Jewish history course because I didn't, I'm like, I figure I know about it, but I I had no idea. I didn't understand, for example, in Russia, the pogroms, all the stuff that made a lot of Jews emigrate to America and form the bank that they had to, out of desperation, make their own financial institutions. Like all of these things where you don't understand how America came to be the country it is, it it blows my mind. And again, that I had to be awoken to just basic history and horrible things that happened in college. Well, I'll, I'll go a step further. Do you know what? Do you know the trope of Jews and money comes from? Because the Catholic Church in medieval times prohibited what, what they used to call usury, which is lending money at, uh, at a rate, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you couldn't lend money and make a profit off of it. So if you were a Christian, you could, like, for example, Catholic to Catholic, I couldn't go to you if you wanted to borrow, I don't know, if you're in Britain, you wanted to borrow 10 pounds, which was an exorbitant amount of money back then. Uh, I couldn't give it to you at a percentage. Okay. So why would anybody lend you money? But that was the position of the Catholic Church, which obviously had, had an extraordinarily uh, influential role in society back then. Um, this is before the Reformation. And so as a result, who could you borrow money from? The only other religion that was really around, the Jews, because they didn't have that prohibition. Right. So what would end up happening is the king and everybody else would borrow money from the Jews um, because the Jews would be the only one to lend because why they had an incentive to do it because obviously Christians couldn't, Catholics couldn't borrow, couldn't lend money. Or they could, but they wouldn't give you, there's no incentive for them to do it because they couldn't make money and lending you money. And then routinely, the Jews would get, there'd be either these massacres of the Jews or the Jews would be expelled from all these countries. And it would be under the guise of, oh, we got to get rid of the Jews because they killed Jesus. But it wasn't because of that. It it would be because the nobility that borrowed the money didn't want to repay it. So it was much more about not wanting to pay back the debt. The only people they could really borrow from because they couldn't borrow. Same thing. I don't know if you know where Friday the 13th came from, but same thing. It was the the Knights Templar. The King of France borrowed a tremendous amount of money from the Knights Templar, who were really, really, really huge, incredibly huge affluent order um, and didn't want to pay back. And so he massacred on Friday the 13th, massacred uh, the Knights Templar and, and decimated them in the 14th century because he didn't want to pay the money back. Holy shit. Yes, that's, but, but that's, this is it. That's and, and comes from that happened on Friday the thirteenth. Fun fact. There's a great example. There is a fantastic example. Does it make me anti-Catholic to say this? No, I'm no. just giving you some information about what Why things the are the way they are today. To believe, right? Right. 
No, does it make me, okay, I am a Jew. I'm going to Spain. Do I hate the Spanish because of the Spanish Inquisition? I do not. Right. Would I be remiss in not understanding Spanish history when I go to Madrid? Not to go to a town that's right outside of Madrid that apparently was the seat of the Spanish Inquisition? Of course I would be. I think it's really interesting. You got to know your history. That's all critical race theory is. Because if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Absolutely. That's the old, that's the old phrase. I mean, could you imagine if the Germans were like, eh, we don't want to talk about the Holocaust? Yeah, we, you know what? Why, why are you being so anti-German? Why, why are you being so anti-German? Exactly. It's not anti-German to talk about it. You're talking it's about not, it. It's not unpatriotic. You become a better person. You become a better country. I mean, what is the problem? Because it, everything stems from from like it's like it's like the kids' song. Like the knee bone is connected to the whatever bone, and everything is connected. Exactly. Everything is. Every decision you make today affects something that happens tomorrow. It's not to say that you're unpatriotic. And and then you have idiots like your governor, Ron DeSantis, who's just absurd, who, of course, you know, oh, God, we don't want to tell anybody what to think. We don't want to, you know, they're, they're, they're telling people in colleges what to think. That now you have to have a survey, a mandatory survey in state schools about what you're teaching to make sure that you're not teaching anything that Ron DeSantis doesn't disagree with. Are you kidding me? Where, where are we living? Because I'm sorry, you talk to my parents. That's exactly what was going on in the Soviet days when they went to college. China doesn't let you learn about Tiananmen Square. It's the same thing that's happening here. You can't get into how horrible slavery was or how women have been repressed or how we treated gay, everything, how we treated pretty much every ethnicity that wasn't from England. It's so infuriating. I just cannot believe where we are. As much as I hate, I hated when they decided to put trigger warnings or, or in colleges on books like Huck Finn because they use the N-word in Huck Finn or maybe not colleges or high schools or something or, or don't don't read this book because um, it, it, you know, I don't know, there's rape in it or there's the N-word or there's anti-Semitism. My whole point is great literature is all about being triggered. Exactly. And, and it's always a product of its time. And uh, the Merchant of Venice is pretty anti-Semitic and doesn't mean that I should, you shouldn't read Shakespeare. Exactly. Or the, or the Great Gatsby, for that matter. Or, or you know, God, you know, I kept saying Gone with the Wind, but I mean, you read the book Gone with the Wind, the N-word is in, on every other page. It's a product of its time. You should be able to read books like that. I mean, you should know where the history of the N-word comes from and why it's bad, why you can't say it. Like and <laughs> and so as much as I think it's absurd for colleges to have these woke, you know, kind of spaces where, oh, my God, you can't, you know, don't read these books because they're offensive. Things that are offensive to us today were not offensive 100 years ago when you have to understand where you come from historically. But it is just as dumb to say that you can't st talk about things that were offensive. Exactly. Because somehow that makes you unpatriotic. Well, it's also saying that your kids are too stupid to to like not think for themselves. You have to give them. You're again. You're being the communist country or the country that you say you're not. Like you know, you're, you're to say that you can't look at anything through a racial lens in this country is like saying you can't look at anything through a class lens in English history. Everything is class related. I mean, from the Magna Carta even before the Magna Carta, but from the Magna Carta on down, literally, probably through the Thatcher years, if not later. And that's, oh, we can't talk about that. 
critical critical class theory. We can't talk about that. Are you kidding? Right. We can't talk about that or 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 I mean, go country by country. <laughs> like you know, I just have no British history best out of out of my European history, but I mean, I could probably come up with the same kind of analogy for for French history or anything else. Why not? Do we not do we not acknowledge that this country has evolved in a good way insofar as we've enfranchised people throughout history more and more and more and more. But it is not unfair to say that throughout our history, people have been disenfranchised, whether it's black people, whether it's uh, women, whether it's LGBTQ members, whether, I mean, I can keep going. Actually, it's quite patriotic to say, you know what, we we, we saw it and we, we worked on it and it's not 100% perfect, but we're getting there. We're working on it. Exactly. Anyway, so the whole thing. Those are the those are the two things I'm salty about this week. We hit them: Britney Spears and critical race theory, um, <laughs> or I'm not very, teaching critical race theory. <laughs> me too. Yeah. My only thing about critical race theory is I just wish people would understand what it is before they start going crazy on it. Because again, turn off Fox News. Just actually look it up. That's it. Because because if you if you really think critical race theory is what Fox News is selling you, then yeah, I agree. It is it is kind of offensive. Yeah, it's true. Not all white people are racist. You're right. I'd be offended too if somebody said, "Oh, you're racist because you're in white skin." That's a that's a gross generalization. I agree, but that's not what critical race theory is. The beauty of Fox, and the beauty of all these channels is, and and just right wing media in general is, there's it's it's like Obamacare, right? The Supreme Court once again dealt a blow to Obamacare, and somebody said asked me the other day, they're like, "Do you think this is it for Obamacare?" I said, "Of course not. They're going to keep making challenges. <laughs> Why?" Because it drives ratings. Critical race theory, it drives ratings. So, of course, they're going to keep talking about it, even though it makes no sense. Why? Because Benghazi drove ratings for six years or however long <laughs> they kept having those hearings. It's, it's, it, this is like, it's the Benghazi school of, 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 of governing. We're just going to gin it up because it gets my, our face on TV. Trey Gowdy got his Fox contract. Why? Why Trey Gowdy, not some other congressman? Because he was the face of Benghazi. So the audience knew him. And well, same, same goes for Jason. What's his name? His name I can't remember now. Oh, the Utah guy. Yeah, Jason Chaffetz. Why? Because yeah. he was the head of that investigative committee. Now he's a fox, right? I mean, it's it's like Matt Gates. Why do we all know Matt Gates's name? Has he actually done anything? Has he accomplished one thing in Congress? Or Marjorie Taylor Greene? No, but they're really good on cable TV for that audience. Same thing with critical. They're they're the critical race theory of of, of politicians. All right, awesome. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.